48 hour art check best of podcast we go live monday wednesday friday on youtube 9 p.m california time and you can join us there live in the chats or watch them later you can always check things out at coreykerr.com slash 48hr we take the best conversations from those live streams and rip them and put them into this podcast Today's topic is perseverance and grit, or in other words, how to develop the personality traits um, that will keep you motivated when you don't feel like it. Um, so I just I I work at a university, and it's a university that is a teaching university, not a research university, and they have kind of a hyper focus on teaching, and. Um, so like it's this revolutionary idea that like students are important at school and um, instead of, you know, like my ego or whatever else. And so every year they get like world renowned researchers on education um, and learning and thinking. And uh, and we have like these little symposiums, these little conferences, these little breakout sessions. And uh, there was a guy who came and he's worked with uh, Carol Dweckt. Um, and he's worked with uh, many of those people who are in and about kind of that perseverance and grit space. Um, and he had done a number of studies. Um, and now that I'm talking about him, I can't remember his name, but anyway, I will come back. I will, I will leave it in the show notes if it doesn't come to me. Um, but he, he personally had run a bunch of these studies that a lot of these books are based on. And it was just fascinating because, um, there is the assumption out there, which is an incorrect assumption. The science um, and the research proves that this is not true. Um, and, and I think most of us that do difficult things um, by choice know that this isn't true. Um, but the idea is that the, the, the pervading myth is that there are some people that are just motivated and other people that are not. There are some <laughs> people that are just talented and there are other people that aren't. Um, and, the, and the fact of the matter is that Whereas some people, everyone starts at different levels of, of things. And so you could say that that's talent. Um, the reality of the situation is that what most people say is talent is actually perseverance. Is somebody who is willing to stick through the tough times and do the hard things to get to that point. And so I thought it might be interesting to just kind of go through my notes because I, I find this type of, this type of stuff like super fascinating. Yeah in my occupation, like how it applies to how I might teach, how I might encourage and motivate students. But um, I don't want to say more so, but equally so, um, you know, on my YouTube channel and my presence online, how I might explain some of the things that I might have happened into or accidentally kind of triggered in myself. Because a lot of people would look at me and Josh and other people in this community and say like, well, you guys are just like your output is ridiculous, um, and and I think I, I think while that seems true, it's not magic. It's also not an innate ability. It's and I wasn't born like this. I am naturally very lazy, um, and so getting to this point has been a series of activities. And the idea is that the research is backing up now. That you, if you don't, if you are not motivated to yep. start and work and finish things, you can actually do a series of things um, to gain that as a personality trait. Huh. So, 
Yeah, it is. It is kind of interesting. Um, and uh, and before we've started this episode, we asked some people uh, in the chat um, what they think. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read read a couple of these. Um, Carissa Hammond says, I don't know. Uh, I think I try until I break, and then I cry, complain, sleep, and try again. And I can relate to that because until I got into some good habitual productivity, I was kind of that you know, kind of neuron type thing where it's an all or nothing. It's like pedal to the metal until you burn out the engine and then you have to replace the engine. Like I did that a lot. Um, White Walls Underneath says, I go back to sketches and look at other people's work. I also remind myself that, quote, this is going to be awesome, even if things are not looking good, um, which huh. is interesting because that is one of the three major keys um, that this guy pointed out that the research shows. So I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, Tim says, if I can try and step away for five minutes, um, or so, and then come back fresh with a little more focus so that he's kind of, kind of intermittently timing himself. So he's not burning out, which is, which is interesting as well. Um, so Josh, I'm curious, what do you, what do you do to maintain productivity? Huh? That's a, that's a very long question or a very long answer to a very short question, but I'll, I'll try to make it brief. Um, I used to just, uh, go in spurts of just, you know, all nighters and do like, you know, three all nighters in a row and, and go overboard on projects and quickly, uh, found that wasn't sustainable. Um, and since then I've had just this, this kind of idea of, uh, doing things a little bit at a time, just kind of carving away, um, with a really solid back planned goal. And so to me, like the main thing is knowing, uh, having a very clear objective, um, that's somewhat flexible that allows for like, you know, uh, things to come up at, that inevitably will to maybe even reroute course if need be, but at least I need a destination. And once I have a clear idea of a destination, I just kind of carve away at it. Um, a lot, the time budget, the time that I have to put, into it and then just try the entire time not to uh not to kind of overfill <clears throat> my capacity but just get at the point where um if i think of like what i'm doing is like a cup it's like i'm basically filling it with water all the way to the edge and uh i, I want to ride that edge because if i'm not i'm not going to be pushing myself uh to my highest capabilities but if I push a little too hard, um, it risks massive burnout. And right. so it's weird because it's like a lower stakes game because it's measured and balanced out. But it's a much higher stakes game because I'm riding so close to that line that uh, that burnout um, somewhat sometimes seems very inevitable um, because of the fact that it's so close to that. But it, it's this thing that I've kind of developed and most of it's through habits. And so um, it's really just forcing myself to get into positive habits that get me closer to my goals. And, uh, and that's really what's gotten me closer to my goals. And I can say just on a professional level too, um, when you're working at like the executive level, um, usually things do not happen quickly. And so there are th- lots of things that happen quickly, but if you focus too much on the things that happen quickly, um, you'll find yourself in a situation where there's no change. Um, there's no positive growth. There's no 
difference. There's no difference in approach. And so like you'll find yourself either burning out or just phoning it in and, and doing kind of a mediocre job. Um, so, I, so, so professionally, I, I use that same exact tactic um, to, to try to kind of back plan big objectives. And I'm talking like three years down the road type objectives, like four years down the road type objectives. Um, and, and that's like, that's one of those things you, you really, I, I'm excited to get into this because I think it's a really important skill that you have to develop, um, especially as you move your way up. Like, I don't think any art director could last longer than maybe a year um, without the ability to carve away in very microscopic points and get these little tiny wins um, for, like, bigger company objectives. Um, But what's cool is when you can keep that objective, like, clearly in focus, um, when you get there... It's like it, it's sort of unbelievable, especially if it's like a two-year goal, three-year goal, where you're yeah. like, you're seeing like this complete thing happen that that you've been planning for like three years, and there have been times where it seems unachievable and stuff. So, um, I, I hope that kind of makes sense. But that's the the main thing that keeps me encouraged is just having done it before. So yeah. that that's kind of what I would say is my big resting point is like well i've carved away at these little things and it's accomplished bigger things before so why would this be any different you know yeah i don't know and the really interesting thing about that is um that there's there's two types of answers that you get with this and i think they're both very helpful one um is is universally applicable and the other is individually applicable. And the first part of your answer is very good advice and very helpful. Um, but that, those are a series of things that work for you. Yeah. And and other people that apply them, their results are going to vary. Um, the other part of what you said um, is universally applicable and challenging because you said a series of practices, right? And and there's different tricks and different things that you're doing to make that work. Um, and then at the end, you said uh, you, you maintain perseverance because you've achieved hard things before and you know that you can do it again. And so here's, here's an interesting model. This is the worst way to show this on, on video and it won't work on a podcast, but here's, here's part of my notes. Um, if you combine trust, growth, and purpose, those are the three components um, that will give you grit and perseverance. If you take grit and perseverance and you couple that with daily deliberate practice, that is a guarantee to increasing your stronger skills, which will lead to success. And when you have success, then you know that this process works and it's no longer a struggle. And so once you have that first success, it's really interesting. And so here's, here's, uh, there's a couple things about this that I thought was really fascinating. Um, and I'll show you this and anybody who's listened to anything I've ever said will know that I perked up a lot when I saw this. Um, he started his talk talking about, um, you know, the difference in the future is not going to be the talented and the untalented. It's going to be the learners versus the non-learners. And, uh, he said, robots are coming for all of our jobs. And I was immediately like, I like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, 
But he started. Broken. He started by saying, "If you, they, they've done a survey of truck drivers, and truck drivers in the in the United States of America, um, that is the largest occupation of of adult men." Um, and they surveyed them. The average answer to this question was forty years. And uh, the question was, when do you think robots are going to take your job? When do you think automation and self-driving cars will take over your position? And they said, you know, no, no sooner than 40 years from now. They asked the people in Silicon Valley who are actually doing that, and they say 18 months to three years, depending on the legislation. And so there's a huge disconnect between the belief of a huge segment of our society and the belief of somebody of, of those that are building their replacements. Um, and, uh, and the argument about that is super interesting, but he, he uses that as a way to say you need you, each of you, whoever is listening to this people in general need to switch on the idea of learning for the rest of your life because, um, Automation is not a problem for a learner um, because you just learn, right? You just adapt and you learn, right? But automation is a huge problem for a fixed mindset. And that was the the kind of Carol Dweck side of things, who's his partner, um, the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset, which is a fixed yeah. mindset is you are things. And a growth mindset is you can become whatever you want. Um, and, and the idea is that you have a fixed amount of traits that you can't control or you have malleable plastic traits that you can manipulate and grow. Um, the idea for somebody who has a fixed mindset of robots coming in and taking your job is terrifying. Um, the idea for a growth mindset is, oh, good, that will free me up to do more interesting things. Um, and so uh, he asked what your learning plan is. And, and I thought that was really interesting that he was talking about a lot of people get an education, Right, Hugh Nibley is a, is a scholar that was talking about getting an education as this, as if education is something that is fixed that you can achieve mm. at some point, right? But like we we use that term incorrectly, and so anyway, he talks about this, and he he talks about um, the first thing is trust, um, feedback. You have to believe that you know the the people that are helping you, the people that are giving you that feedback, have your best interest at heart. And this kind of this kind of reminds me of yesterday, um, where where I was super excited that this thing finally rendered and that I was done with it. And I showed my wife, and she told me that it sucked. And um, I trust that she has my best interest at heart, and that she wasn't saying that to be mean or be vindictive or to hurt my feelings. Yeah. Um, but because it was the best thing for the project. Otherwise, I would have just shut down and put up my defenses and, you know, said, well, screw you. I'm taking my video and going home, you know, or whatever. Um, and so there has to be there has to be that kind of that that level of trust. And this is why on Twitter and YouTube and everywhere else and Instagram and whatever else, um, the drive by critiques are completely pointless, totally yeah. mean and useless because some rando on the Internet that tells me he hates my work um, I don't trust you. I don't care what you think. Um, and, and in fact, the fact that you have bothered to say something negative to someone you don't know um, tells me what I need to know about how to feel about your critiques. But if I were to say something and Josh or, or Scott or Mike or somebody um, were to say, hey, you know, maybe maybe try doing this or you could kind of tweak this type of thing, um, there's a level of trust there 
where I would I would take that into consideration because yeah. uh, that's that's not coming from just you know rando person on the internet. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And and trust is so important too. I I don't know if this will tie in maybe later, but it it seems like with the uh, with the end objective because one thing I think is really consistent is like the idea of a vision. Um, so like if you're, um, if, if you're working on something with no vision, like of what that end point is and like you, you have no idea what the, what the place over the rainbow is. It's like, it, it's a long journey and you can get lost and, and really disheartened very quickly. But if you have an idea of the vision, um, that you're heading towards and not just that, but you actually have trust involved in that, um, with the end point of, of whatever project it is. Um, it's much, a much better scenario. So like, I, I would say that for like, especially leading teams and, and classrooms, um, of students and stuff like that. It's like trust is so important just for that process because people have to actually be able to trust that end goal. If you don't trust the end goal, then you're going to doubt yourself the entire way. And and once again, that grit part, um, which, by the way, we've been saying grit so much, it just makes me want to say kiss my grits because that's just a grit thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, sorry, there's an old TV show called Alice um, where that was her catchphrase. But anyhow, um, yeah, it, like it's a, to keep grit, to kind of maintain grit, it's like you have to actually believe in that end goal and, and to believe in the end goal, you really have to trust. And that's, that's a hard thing. Um, it's an easy thing lost and a hard thing gained. Yeah. And, and the, uh, and, and trust is kind of the underpinnings of the, of the other two, one of which is, is purpose. And so it's interesting that you bring that up because it's, it's very true without, without trust, the other two don't, don't matter. They don't work. Um, and he said some interesting things. Um, feedback, plus stating the expectation of success, meaning feedback plus the idea that you believe that this person can achieve it is super important. And they did studies. Um, they did, they did double blind, double blind studies where they took um, w- one of the biggest problems that teachers have um, is that they give feedback and that feedback isn't implemented. And, and so then the teachers get frustrated because they're wasting their time um, and the students get frustrated because it's like, well, why is this guy just being mean to me? I worked really hard on that paper, you know, or whatever. And, and then he just tells me, you know, what's wrong with it. And, and so what he said is the message received is more important than the message intended. And and the idea is that if you communicate uh, the possibility of success and the reason that you're giving feedback, those two things can be the difference in um what you intend and the misinterpretation of, of, of what's received. The, the, the study that they did was this, was they took a note and they put a note in every, a little post-it note, handwritten post-it note in every, um, in every report, sealed manila envelope. That's what make it, made it double blind. And what they found was um, one, one note said um, the reason I'm giving you this feedback is that um I, I believe that you can that you're a good writer and that you can you can do really really well. Otherwise, I wouldn't waste my time. Um, the other note said um, the following feedback are things that you can improve on. 
which is obvious, right? And so basically the second note didn't say anything. Um, and what they found is that in the control group that got the kind of non-message note, um, there was a 40% response rate of people that applied the feedback to their paper. In, sure. the, in, the, in the statement where it said, I, I stated a belief and it stated a reason, I believe that you can do this. This is why I am giving you feedback um, so that you can achieve this thing. Um, there was an 80% response rate. And so literally just stating purpose and the belief that that person can achieve that purpose um, doubled the response, which is super interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that makes sense, like, psychologically. I think from most of our experience um, as artists, I know, Corey, I know you you can probably agree with this too, but it's like my own experience has been that, uh, you know, it, it literally having, like, one or two friends who really believed in me um, really is probably why I ended up being in art. Because yeah. there are times where it gets dark when you're, when you're trying to kind of take on this uh like tilt at this windmill you know yeah and 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 you know it ebbs and flows um but but you know the creative life is not the easiest path and it's definitely a um a hard uh a hard thing to achieve and it and it can at times seem impossible so having that person who kind of roots you on and really believes in you and really believes that you can get there um, really makes all the difference. And I think, you know, juxtaposing that, I think we've all had experiences with people who literally expect us to fail. And uh, it's, it's interesting though, thinking about my own experience, sometimes those people can be, a, when, when I was more negatively motivated, uh, could also be a motivation on its own just to kind of prove those people wrong. Yeah. But, um, but I do think the other form of motivation to like live up to expectations, um, live up to belief, like is much more motivating and positive as a result. Um, whereas I feel like the disproving the haters kind of thing, it can be fuel, but it's fuel that burns pretty hot. <laughs> yeah, hot and fast and runs out. Exactly. Um, and, and I would say from my own personal experience that a lack of, people who believed in me is why I was well into my thirties before I started becoming an yeah. artist. Um, cause I never had anything like that. I had the opposite. I had people, uh, you know, that I respected tell me that, you know, I couldn't do it or that it was, and I, I unfortunately believed them and wasted decades of my life, not doing the thing that I love doing. Um, so that's that's one. Here's the here's the other thing. The the next one, the second one. So the first one's trust, right? And and as part of trust, uh, a belief um, that you can achieve it, um, coupled with you know the the idea and support that you have um, with other people um, behind you. Um, the next one is to emphasize growth. Um, and he talked about he talked about the idea that, and this is interesting because this also aligns with Daniel Pink's research where um, mastery is one of the major motivating factors um, in our psychology is that, that you're able to continue to grow and master something. That's why things that you're able to achieve and then there's not a level above that, um, you, you do that and give up because there's, there's no reason to continue to do something that you've mastered. But continual purposeful mastery um, is super motivating. When you can, and that's why, that's why art and music and things like that are 
really fascinating and somewhat addictive is because there's no end goal. There's just continually leveling up and getting better than you were before. There's a constant mastery. And he, and he said, um, if, if you can rewire your brain to think of, um, the struggle and the frustration and the, and the, all the times when you just want to just go outside and just scream at the clouds, um, as the same thing as lifting weights that neurologically you're on track. Um, society has programmed us to think that struggle, stress and resistance equals something that you should stop doing. Um, and he, he gave the example and my buddy has a PhD in math and is a super smart guy. And he was sitting at this table with me and it was funny because every time he would say this, I would, I, it, I felt like it took on a greater meaning because I was in the presence of, of a mathematician because he would say things that I have said about myself, like you're not a math person. I've yeah. said, I'm not a math person. I literally have said that hundreds of times in my life. And the fact yeah. of the matter is that in that aspect of my life, I took resistance and frustration as a sign that I should not do that thing rather than as a sign of struggle and resistance. And if we do this with our muscles, it makes perfect sense. The heavier the weights that I lift the more frequently that I do that, the stronger my muscles are. Your brain is exactly the same way. There's a number of studies that I can get into if we want um, that he quoted where um, it just basically proves that you get more benefit neurologically out of struggling with something than you do out of doing something that you enjoy. Yeah, agreed. And so, go ahead. What's interesting, just tying tying that into... you know, our experience with art, it's like, you know, um, I don't, I don't think I've had anything beneficial happen to me in art that wasn't a struggle. Yeah. So like it, it, it's a fascinating thing, but it is hard to remember in the moment. Um, and once again, that's, that's where I think experience helps too, because you struggle through something and you see this great reward. Um, and it encourages you like, the next time to kind of make that struggle again, you Mm -hmm. know, um, Mike in the chats also mentioned that he said, uh, I'm guilty of running on no negative motivation quite a bit. I get told my ideas are too ambitious or complicated a lot. And that just immediately triggers a whatever I'm going to F and do it anyway response. Um, and he said, I've mellowed out a bit though, working on it. And actually I relate to that a lot. Um, I remember the first time I applied for the Zarek grant that I ended up getting actually. And this was when that was like a really big deal. Um, uh, I had one of my closest friends at the time who's no longer a friend um, who just would doubt like anything, anything I would try to do in art, tell me, well, that's stupid. You're not going to get that grant. And uh, I got the grant and I very shortly after that kind of severed that friendship because it was a, it was just no, not, not helpful to have somebody doubting me all the time alongside me while I was trying to be on this journey of like bettering myself and getting myself out there. So I relate to that 100% Mike. Um, yeah. And it is, it is like I, like we said, it's a fuel. It is a fuel. It's, it's not the best fuel though. And, um, and Carissa, Carissa makes an interesting comment. She says, um, I tend to believe the critics and collapse. Um, and I think that's a natural response. Uh, yeah. you know, 
and 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 he actually went into several ways that you can get past that and get over that. Um, they did a study where um, they have this idea of fixed mindset, growth mindset. Uh, we've had Scott on and we've talked about this, but but the gist of it is um, if you believe that your traits are fixed um, and that you can't do anything about them, you have a fixed mindset. If you believe that your traits are malleable and that you can increase skills, abilities, and thinking uh, as as you choose and work, uh, then you have a growth mindset, right? So it's, uh, it's being something or having things cause it's, it's you acting or being acted upon. It's one of those two, right? So they did, they did this little survey of a group of people and they basically categorized them as fixed mindset or growth mindset. Then they gave them challenges. Um, and the challenge was intended. Um, the, the, the researchers knew that they would fail at this challenge. I, I can't remember what it was, but it was some thinking task that was, um, that they knew that they would fail at multiple times. And into the test, what they did is they programmed a delay. Every t- You could make progress, and then when you failed, there would be a delay while the system, quote-unquote, reset. Um, and during that time, they were measuring um, blood flow and brain waves in their brain. And what happened is the fixed mindset people, their brain shut off. They basically spiraled. Each time that they failed, they would stop thinking and they would and they would just wait. Whereas the growth mindset people, each time that they failed, their brain would ramp up even more than when they were doing the challenge. Um, yeah. And then they asked everybody what they were thinking. What what happened is those that that saw that failure as an iteration um, and they said, okay, so I got this far and now I know that this stuff works and I know that that doesn't work. So I'm ready to do this again. What am I going to do next time? They started planning their, their plan of attack. Whereas those that, um, that failed and just got disappointed in themselves and were like, ah, I guess I got to do this again. Um, they, they never really got anywhere, but the ones that, the ones that took it as a challenge, um, did that. And so the growth mindset, fixed mindset is one way to, is one way to do that. Another way to do that is he literally says, if you can get one success um, of something really hard um, and then you reflect on that after the fact, um, it has to be those two things. And I, I want to talk about this after we get into kind of purpose, but it, it kind of fits here. So just know that I'll talk about purpose in a minute. They did this two by two. So it's a double blind study within a double blind study. What that means is that there's, it's, it's, it's layered, right? And so they, they took an area of the U S where the schools were good. Um, there was enough money. The teacher, the teachers were being paid well. Um, but the, um, but the students were underperforming the expectation, right? Um, and so a lot of people were blaming it on um, socioeconomic things, uh, you know, and, and some people were saying cultural and whatever. And, um, and they said, well, I wonder if we can use this research um, to get these students who are statistically going to drop out of high school and drop out of college um, or not go to college in the first place. Um, if we can, if we can get them to gain perseverance that they don't have because their environment doesn't have it. And so in eighth grade, um, right before, as they're leaving middle school and right before they go to high school, they had all their eighth grade teachers, uh, assess them, right. 
basically sort them out for fixed and growth mindset or sort them out for grit and perseverance, right? Who, who, who sticks to a task, even if it's frustrating questions like that. And then they had their ninth grade teachers after the study also do the same thing. So that's, 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 that's the first blind, um, well, it's that's the, that's the control and the and the and the result. So that that'll show you the delta. Then they took these students and they put them in something called Camp Champions, which is a summer camp that was specifically intended to make them do really hard things that they think that they couldn't do, um, but were set up so that they could actually achieve them, right? And so um, some of them learned to swim for the first time. Some of them uh, took on rock climbing. Some of them learned you know, very difficult skills, um, you know, a lot of physically demanding things. And, and, uh, what they did is there were two groups. There were those that were tutored and helped, you know, specifically to, so that it kind of guaranteed their success, but it didn't feel like they, that it was rigged. And then the other group that it didn't guarantee their success and, 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 you know, they kind of were left onto their own devices. Then at the end of that, they kind of got the stats, right? And so those that had like the mentorship far exceeded everybody else. Um, then they waited a, a certain period of time. And at the end of that period of time, they were asked to just take 15 minutes and reflect on this question. How did camp champions, or how do you think camp, your experience at camp champions can relate to your, um, your future? Just 15 minutes, write a paragraph about that. And they, they read a bunch of the responses and things. And it was basically an opportunity for these students to abstractly think about, well, it was hard and I didn't know how to do it, but I kept doing it. And then I eventually was able to do it. And so I think I could probably do that in anything now. Yeah. And what they found was it takes the combination of those two things, which is super fascinating. It's not that people achieve hard things and then all of a sudden they have perseverance. It's that if somebody trusts them, if somebody gives them a purpose, if somebody communicates um, the possibility of success and then helps them succeed in something that feels exceptionally difficult, and then after the fact, distanced enough so that it doesn't feel like the same event, so you can't say, well, that was camp time, you know, and camp is different. It has to be different, but also close enough to where you can still remember what it feels like in your gut. You articulate and connect what was previously disconnected, which is the future and the past, then, then, um, perseverance and grit shoot through the roof. And there was just, there was like the numbers were crazy of people going to college and graduating that had no right to graduate based on their socioeconomic background, based on their, based on their history, based on the statistics, you know, us and based on the statistics within that particular area. And it all came down to the combination of, um, reflecting on something super challenging that you achieved. And what that does is, because then we started asking him all these questions. We said, well, I asked him, I said, how much time does it have to have between that? And he said, there's not any clear data, but uh, the, the hypothesis right now that we're working with is that you need it to be um, not so long that you forget what it feels like, but not so soon that it feels like the same event. It's going to be a different event, but you still remember what it feels like. And then other people asked, like, does this one event work? And he said, basically, the one event works with the reflection because once you do that, it changes who you are, and then you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. And if that domino effect starts to happen, the 
the rest of the course of your life is based on the knowledge, not the understanding, but the knowledge in your gut that if I set out to do hard things, I can do them. I know that for a fact because I reflected on the fact that I've already done that. And so that earlier success of something that's super challenging now feels different. Whereas before I really got into this, frustration equaled, I'm not a math person. Now, frustration equals, this is just part of the process of animation. This is just what illustration is like. I know that frustration is part of doing important and difficult things because I've rewired the way that I thought about stuff. In my 30s, I've done that. And so yeah. you can teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's remarkable, and that, that does um, – it, it's weird, but maybe it's my confirmation bias or something. But but hearing it, 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 it is kind of true to my experience. I've found that, um, that in general, like uh, – yeah, I mean, like the overcoming of things, and and also celebrating or or looking back on successes, I think I think is really underrated. Yeah. Like I think that, um, like one of the things I try to do with my art team, um, or like when when I teach with my students, um, or in my own life, like with let's say I land a big client, I've always wanted to land, or I finish like a massive job, like my website, like. I try to celebrate a little bit. I try to get yeah. pumped about it. And the cynic, um, which is really deep within me, I, d- I do have a big cynic just in in myself. Um, if, you, if you doubt it, like, just read my webcomic, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, but the, that cynic just wants to be like, don't get excited about this thing because you'll just get let down. Right. And, and because there's a vulnerability, and, and Corey and I have talked about that ad nauseum, um, but vulnerability, th- there's a massive level of vulnerability it takes to actually get pumped about something, like to get really excited about something. Um, I'll, I'll bring up like the hundreds anthology. I'm excited about that coming out. Yeah. What's the risk there by saying that publicly? Well, if it doesn't get funded, you know, then I'm going to look like a moron for being excited about it. And everybody involved in it who's put in all this work, you know what I mean? But it will get funded, by the way. But anyhow, my my point is there's still a risk to being pumped, whereas to be a cynic, there's not a lot of risk because you're always going to be proven right. And if you're wrong, you know, well, you know, then you had something good happen unexpectedly. So there's no disappointment. Yeah. But but I do think allowing yourself to be vulnerable enough to be excited, to be excited about an opportunity, um, which which might mean being let down when that opportunity doesn't happen. Um, but I, I think that just celebrating successes, uh, kind of relooking at big accomplishments, big hurdles over, over, overcome, um, really does pay off in the long run. Because I think if you're so lost in just the output of like productivity, which something Corey and I do a lot is like just putting out a lot of stuff. If, if you don't pause for a minute to like kind of reflect on your success, um, then it, you won't be able to carry that over when you're like in the thick of it um, and full of doubt and full of all sorts of naysayers and other things that pop up. We're both real big 
subscribers to the idea of the art of war, right? So, like, resistance will come as you're trying to make stuff, as you're trying to kind of do positive things. And to fight that resistance, you need to be able to pull on that past battle experience. But if you, but if you never reflected on the battles you've won, then, like, you're not going to have anything to look back at to get you through the next one, you know? This this is something this is something that also came up um, this week, but with a different with a different twist. It is super important to understand that um, I'm not talking about positive and negative outlooks. I'm not talking about the cynic versus the optimist or the pessimist, um, yeah. because um, the extreme optimist and the extre- extreme pessimist are both equally problematic for different reasons and will both cause you to not persevere. Um, it was really interesting because they said that the, the extreme optimist um, has, has no grip on reality. And when, when real struggle happens, um, they don't process it. They, they whitewash it. And so the extreme cynic or the extreme pessimist um, while they might have a better grip on reality, they hate the thing that they criticize. And so yeah. they don't love it and they don't enjoy it. In the middle is actually where, you know, there's there's a huge range where you can be cynical and you can be optimistic as long as you don't make it to the outer extremes. Neither of those outlooks actually positively or negatively impacts whether you have perseverance and output or not. And so there's room for all types of personalities in this. It's not just the people that are willing to say, if you believe it, you can achieve it, you know, or, you know, whatever. It's not, it's not like the self-help kind of fluffy guru type stuff. It's literally like whatever your personality is, you can gain these traits if you want to rewire how you think about frustration and resistance. 100%. And, and this all rings true as well, because like, uh, one thing I've learned in, especially as an art director is, is like, you have to put up, like, yeah, you, ha- you have to put out fires all the time. And, and I, I call them fires, but I'm not talking about like massive work problems. I'm just saying like every once in a while there's a production error or there's a rush job from a client that's incredibly pending. And yet it's conflicting with five other rushes that you have to get done in the day. Um, and like one thing I learned very quickly, and, and once again this was through experience um, and through having a couple wins, was realizing that fires in business are opportunities yeah. a lot of the time. And so if you can like view when when you hit like a giant brick wall when you're when you're in business or when you're doing art um, when you're when you're working on something, if you can view like those hardships and those struggles as like huge opportunities. Um, it, it gives you the the toolkit to kind of weather the storm. And then what's weird is, it it it, it this isn't a positivity thing. It's just a fact thing. Um, nine times out of ten, those things become opportunities because you you objectively step back, look at the situation, and find the opportunity in it. And what's interesting is there is opportunity in a lot of situations that most people uh, give up, bail. Um, shrink away from and so like once again it you know I, I think what Corey's talking about and some of these things that that uh, that this this guest speaker was touching on are like really important toolkits if you want to last in art um, because art is a long haul game 
full of ups and downs and it's full of some really big downs and some really harsh struggles and uh, some harsh realities and people who are not going to love everything you draw. And so if you're not equipped to kind of like weather the long haul kind of slog of, of doing it um, and you don't, and you don't open yourself up to toolkits or rewiring of thinking, you're really setting yourself up for failure, you know? Um, but tying into what Corey was saying, why we're talking about this is because we believe in our community. So we think you guys can get there. Um, if you're not already there, I think there's a lot of people in the chats who already have those skills honed and are like fighting that battle every day. So, yeah. And um, I, and I want to say this along those lines, cause I think that is a really good point. I, Josh is not saying that we believe you can do it to be nice or to blow smoke. Like I have, I have been teaching now for over five years at the college level and I do not teach in the art department. I teach in the communications department. I take PR majors and video majors and journalists and I teach them how to illustrate and I teach them how to design. And the fascinating thing about it is I have proven with, I don't know if I'm teaching, so I'd say six to 800 students so far through this, through this class, I'd say my success rate of massive watershed amounts of improvement from knowing almost nothing to getting really proficient in very difficult software. Plus having starting that down that path of having an eye for design is 80, 85%. Yeah. And, um, and so I can say with without any doubt um, that I know that this works and I know that you can do it because I think anyone can do it. Um, and, and here's the thing that's really interesting. Josh and I did not build the 48-hour art check as um, – on the on the back of neurological studies we didn't we didn't build this we we just thought you know sometimes it helps to just say what was hard and sometimes you should focus on like you know what you've achieved so that you know that it's possible and planning is good that's as about as much thought as comes into it but it has been proven to me time and time and time again um that this format is really powerful and i want you to think about this for a minute um at no point in time do either of us whitewash things and say, everything is great. I've got my yeah. rose-colored glasses on and everything's wonderful and I'm an illustrator and so that's what I do, right? And I also at no point in time do we sit here and go, I don't know, man, it, it got hard and so I played video games for three weeks instead of doing anything, right? Yeah. There's, there's this middle ground of recognizing both the things that were hard – and how we overcame those things and what we produced. And there's there's some really interesting comments going on in the chat that I wanted to point out. So Mike is saying um, that if you're an artist, hang your best work. Um, writers hang up a nice compliment that you got on a story that you wrote or an award that you won. And then being able to look at those things reminds you that you can do it, which I agree. Being able to focus on the things that you have achieved in the past, that's the domino that's going to hit the next domino. Okay, And then Carissa says... Um, that Stephen King um, used to hang up rejection letters that he had as proof of the effort that he was going in the right direction because he had failed, because he had been rejected. So here's yeah. here's two interesting comments that seem to be at odds with each other, but actually both are very, very valuable. Being able to look at your failures 
as iterations and stepping stones towards success and recognizing that that sucked. It hurt my feelings. I cried. It was hard. And look, I've also achieved some things. Those two things in combination plus purpose, direction, and why, right? What we've been talking about, or here's what I'm going to do about that in the next 48 hours. This combination of things is literally um, scientifically proven and research driven from a neurological and a sociological standpoint, proven to give you the literal attributes that you need as a personality traits to be able to be successful in whatever you choose to be successful in. If you, if you gauge success as improvement in your skills and abilities, your knowledge, your learning, your ability to learn, your ability to, to grow your skills, um, then being able to turn the switch on by knocking over that first domino, recognizing that it was difficult, seeing that you were successful in spite of the difficulty and knowing that you can do this in the future again is going to put you on a path that you can achieve um, huge things, whether you're a pessimist or an optimist, huge things. And it's really cool to think that this has been proven um, time and time again, and you can read you can read it from any angle. There's so much work out there right now that is proving that we are not fixed. Our personality traits are not inborn and ingrained to the point where we can't uh, add yeah. to them and 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 expand on them. And it's just super exciting. It's also fascinating to me that I think you and I have kind of stumbled on this formula that tends to work really well and continues to be backed up by the research. Yeah, that's really interesting to connect it to the art check because thinking about it, I mean, like, that is kind of the map. And I think it's because when we were talking about this, like, and this is when we were early on, when we were just chatting about it as an idea, we were trying to think of, like, the three core things that an artist needs to work on a and sustain a really long-term project. And and one of the main things is just like, number one, just being able to communicate it. Like, right. So you need, you need people, you need advocates, you need people who are actually going to listen and kind of be along with you on the journey. So that's one thing. The second is like to kind of be able to document it, like to be able to encourage your successes. So like, that's really interesting how that ties in. The, the struggles part is because, like, it's a hard road and you need people to lift you up when you're struggling. And nine times out of ten, the, the, that's how this has functioned for, for me, like, for the year we've been doing it, where it's like, I'll have a rough week. But then when I talk to Corey, who's also having a rough week because we're, like, weird and we have our emotions synced all the time. <laughs> right. But it's like, but it is, it is a weird thing where, um, like just by having a commonality in that struggle and then also having somebody objective to kind of be able to be like, well, you're on the path, you know? And then third, like to being, being able to commit to the next step to get you along your goal. Um, and then also have accountability, which I think is a little thing we, we sneak in there that maybe wasn't touched on with this, but I think the accountability factor really keeps you on the path to wherever you're heading and so that's kind of cool too. Um, I didn't even, it's, it's funny as we were talking about it um, and you tied it into the art check. Um, that's pretty brilliant because I do think that's why it's successful. I think that's why we keep doing it because 
it 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 yields results and like the results that it yields at least has yielded for me um and i think for Corey as well has been like insane things like being able to knock out a website design that would take most people months and took me a week and a half and Corey knocked out an animation that would take people most people like three or four months and he knocked it out in like i think less than a week which is insane <laughs> um well it was about a week but yeah. That's that's still a a mass like a, a very condensed thing for a, a single human being, not a team, like an individual um, to accomplish. And it's it's kind of neat. I I do think the art check kind of carries it along, and it also builds that repetition. So like that's the huge thing too is like building those positive habits of constantly carving away at your goals. Because like I said at the top too, like. Um, you know, a lot of people will look at unattainable things like a graphic novel. Like I still meet guys who are like way up there and work for like Disney and have directed Disney films and stuff. And they're like, I've thought about doing a graphic novel, but that seems impossible. And I'm like, but you made an animated movie. Like, right. <laughs> like there's nothing more impossible than what you've achieved at a workplace. Why couldn't you? But I think I think the real answer is like, well, they could, but it's like that would mean going home and then working on their graphic novel. And 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 novelists I meet all the time. Where like I've met a lot of journalists, like people who've done journalism um, for a long time and had have this pipe dream of doing a comic or or a, a book. And it's not a pipe dream, but it's a pipe dream for them because it's something that when they're done doing the paid work, they aren't doing the self work. And um, it, it's amazing how when you just get little chunks of it done, um, you end up actually with that thing. And then the second you have that happen once and you unlock it and you finished like one big thing that's that big, you know, deathbed thing that people are like, I wish I had written the great American novel or whatever. Once you've written your book and you press period at the end of the last sentence, you know, um, it, it suddenly isn't so impossible to do because you did it. Right. And, and part of that, the, the thing is these things don't make themselves. This work doesn't make itself like the art checks not going to make itself. So if you guys are like out there and you're like, Hmm, I should do an art check, do one. It's yeah. it like the time is never going to come where it's like completely convenient to do. Um, because that's not how life works. Like your car is going to break down or like, you know, you're you're gonna run low on on money and need need to get groceries the next week, or you're gonna have a job and the job's gonna drop. Like, uh, there's a million crises in, in in life, and if you wait for like a perfect clear runway, um, you know that's I think the only clear runway is pretty much on your deathbed. Well, and if you <laughs> and, have a, if you have a clear runway, you're probably doing the wrong thing. Yeah, because I've, I've got a clear runway to lots of things. I've got a clear runway to doing nothing but watching TV. I've got a clear runway to just you know like eating garbage all the time. I've got a clear runway to playing video games constantly. I like doing all of those things, um, but I don't have resistance doing those things. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have resistance doing things that are worth it, doing things that are hard because they're valuable. Yeah. I love it. So yeah, so I this is great. 
This is wonderful. Uh, we went a little longer than we normally go, um, but the chat was phenomenal. I wish I could have gotten to all of the comments, um, but you guys rock, and uh, thanks for sticking around. And if you want to check out the stuff that we're working on, if you're curious on what it is that we are actually talking about uh, and you, you want to see if we're putting our, our money where our mouth is, um, go check out CoreyKerr.com. You can see some of the stuff that I've made. Um, and if you want to check out Josh's stuff, a brand new site. Is it Quarterly Stories or do I need to change that to JoshuaCampbell.com? QuarterlyStories.com will take you to Quarterly Stories on JoshuaCampbell.com. So gotcha. that's fine. So if you want to see, and I, I will say this, this is something that I am in awe Ah, I think is the correct word that I'm going for. Is I look at I look at Josh's site, who is younger than I am, and I like to point that out now that I realize that because I I look at what he's produced in his life and I think he's got to be at least forty years older than I am. Months ago, yeah, months ago. But anyway, um, I, I'm I'm weeks older than Josh. He has he has achieved just through consistent effort. Uh, an incredible body of work. Go go look at joshuakimble.com. Just look at all of the comics. Look at all of the editorial illustrations. Look at all of the stuff that he's made. And it's not that Josh is magic or that Josh is somehow superhuman. It's that Josh is just he's got a couple decades on me as far as as far as the type of work that he's been doing but with that consistent effort. And so for me, one of the things that helps me is to look at somebody like somebody like Josh and say, uh, the only difference between uh, the body of work that Josh has and the body of work that I have is, is time and focused effort. And so I can get there and it's fascinating because, but it's an impressive, it's an impressive body of work. And so Josh knows of which he speaks. So go check out joshuacampbell.com and you can always check out this podcast, uh, the audio version of this show. <clears throat> as I choke on my dry mouth because I forgot to drink water. Um, Carissa says, but what if Josh is a wizard? Um, you can go to coreykerr.com slash 48HR and you can get the uh, the podcast audio version of this. And, uh, and as always, um, make sure to hit that thumbs up because it helps the algorithm. Share this video, comment, and, uh, and you guys are awesome. Go do an art check. Go be awesome. Knock over that first domino. Reflect on it later. You guys rock, and we'll see you guys in a couple days. <laughs> Bye, guys.